Anyways, uh, we gotta we gotta hit the button. Oh uh, no! Boop! I didn't even read the stories. Oh shoot! Uh, there's that, there's a bunch of the... stories out there. I read them, so I guess I can drive today. All right, Ryan, take us in. Engage. Welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security's Talking About News. In this episode, we're going to be talking about rootkits, glorious rootkits, and we're going to be discussing systems administrators who you shouldn't piss off, because if they told you, have you tried turning it off and on again, the answer is yes. Always, always, always ask yes. We're going to be talking about ransomware somewhere in here. I, I don't know. I haven't gone that far into the news stories, but I guarantee It's totally you going to be there. It's totally going to be there. And uh, Ralph gets his chance to shine talking about VMware ESXi server encryption and how it's done lightning fast with Python, which I think is probably the first time that anyone has ever said that a Python script was lightning fast, but it's good to know it's being Splunk used. Splunk has entered the chat. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I've got things to say about single threading and how far oh. you can push it. Scripting language. We pushed it to the limit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kids, yeah. All these kids today with their Golang and Rust and, you know, all these fast Hipsters. languages. Meanwhile, my grandfather Pearl here is on the couch, but he's been dead for the last 20 years. All right. So let's get into move it. Him. Let's go in. <laughs> let's talk about the fired IT administrator. So, setting this up for everybody, fired IT admin revenge hacks a school by wiping data. Now, this is in the UK, and the thing that cracks me up about this find. is it appeared that he did this like twice because he did it once and then he came back and he did it again. This is, I don't know, it's kind of like the insider threat. That's one of the reasons why I love insider threat like conversations I have with some of our customers at Black Hills Information Security is they always get worked up about, well, what, what technology can we put in place to deal with the insider threat? And the cold hard truth is, if you hire a systems administrator that has a previous record and he decides to go just start nuking <laughs> your systems, you're screwed. There's not much you're going to do to be able to help this. So I guess light the right, let the right ones in, maybe? So I don't know. What do you guys think about this particular story and systems administrators going rogue? This well, is, yeah, this isn't the first one we've talked about. And I yeah. guess you know, we, we oh, talk about work, work no. life balance and, you know, really yeah. pay your admins. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was funny before you got on, John, I actually mentioned it. And I'm like, I, I just have to say is like a lot of people know I was a sysadmin. Um, and I still kind of feel like I'm a sysadmin at heart a little bit sometimes. But it was like every sysadmin in the world who's like underpaid and undervalued has at least had the thought cross their mind. And they're like, no, I've got morals. I've got morals. I can't do that. But like I guarantee you it's crossed their mind. Like so to see it actually come well, through, you're like, yeah. Well, look at it just... this way. Monopixel pissed off systems administrators are older than you are. Um yeah, if true. you go back to uh if you go back no to if you go back to uh, Bastard Operator from Hell, I think was one of the first ones that I read. And you can still like find his postings and you read them sequentially. They're hilarious, but basically He's kind of fantasy writing about all the things that systems administrators always wanted to do. So one of my all-time favorites is he works IT administration for a university in the UK. And a student calls him up and is like being very bossy and is like, I want more room for my share because I need to put more files and I need to do all this stuff. And he's like, oh, you want more room? Okay, cool. So it's clackety, clackety, clack. And he's like, all right, you got more room. 
And the student on the other side goes, I always wanted more than five meg. By the way, it was a different time, folks. And the bastard <laughs> operator from hell goes, oh, oh, you wanted me to increase the size of your share. I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. And the student goes and checks and realizes the bastard operator from hell went in and deleted it. all yeah, of his files. His in more room. You know, <laughs> this has been around since the dawn of IT. You know this has been around since the dawn of IT. The sad and, thing is yeah. the law doesn't side with disgruntled admins. The law sides oh, with no, no. the people that fired them. <laughs> and, and nor does future employers usually. In this case, I guess they hired him twice. Someone was feeling like giving him a shot. But yeah. Yeah, it is interesting I, I, always hearing the gap between the file, you know, the day to day on the computer doesn't feel real until you're in court talking about, I logged into the SMB share, hit select all, and then hit send to uh, directly, you know, do not bypass the recycle bin, send directly yeah. to hell. Nukes it right away. I've, always, I've often wondered, like, anytime we talk about this, do you guys think that Alan Turing, like, ever got, like, mad at Winston Churchill? Like, you know, Winston Churchill's like, Alan, we really need to break some more codes of the Germans and get on that as quickly as possible. We're going to need you to come in on this weekend. And like Alan Turing's like, I could, I could, I could, I could just let the Germans win. And it would totally, could, <laughs> it would all be over. Place, this whole place would be bombed. This whole, this whole place would be bombed. There was a movie about it. I'm not sure if it was the same as you're describing, but I mean, it, it, wasn't, it was kind it of the first to. admin versus boss relationship, I guess. It's like, yeah. we need more brass to build computers. It's like, what? How, how and honestly, all joking aside, it didn't end well for Alan Turning. They're like, you know, it's like, so you pretty much won World War II for us, Alan. Congratulations. You're a national hero. Oh, you're gay? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no, that doesn't outdo. Things don't balance each other out, Alan. So. <laughs> Not until like 2010 did he get, you know, recognition, yeah. right? Then they finally said, are bad because that's the uk right like opium <laughs> wars all of those things yeah they're they're basic they're, they're they're like geopolitical stance now is just saying are bad basically yeah. so <laughs> like we, we don't really have a commonwealth anymore we just say are bad eventually we'll ship these statues they've learned a lot from canada like they trial ballooned it with canada what if we just say we're sorry all the time oh my god there's nothing like I'm sorry know, genocide and all these horrible things that we're making light of we need to quickly go to another news story Oh, you want a good one? How about yeah, how about one, Missouri and the F twelve oh, hack? The F twelve oh, hack? Did you guys didn't talk about that last week? Well, we weren't here last week. Oh, no, okay. we were off. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah, talk about doubling down. I I still am waiting for the governor to basically for like Mike Parson to like stand back and be like, "My bad, I was an idiot. <laughs> I didn't understand any. I don't understand computers. To be honest, I think it's." A bunch of tubes that just magically people donate money to me. I, I'm really happen. sorry. You're that forgetting the huge chunk of his constituency that's like, yeah, get them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> True. I'm actually thinking about going down to Cole County. So we have this thing called Awareness Con, where whenever we had the uh, pen testers that, from Coal Fire that were arrested, we went to Adel, Iowa, and we did Awareness County, uh, Awareness Con. And I'm thinking about doing that in Cole County, like basically going there. It's just really hard for me to get in front of a bunch of people and be like, all right, everybody stand back. F12. That's how. <laughs> the greatest hack the world has ever seen. Uh, that's, but he's doubling down constantly. Oh, yeah. I, like, I like how there's multiple steps. Oh, 
For you anyone know, that thought it was hard to be a pen tester, now we know officially it's not. Yeah, everyone now knows. Everyone, the gig is up. They, like, they, they know. They found out. They found yeah. out. They the, found us well, out. If you go to Cole County, 12, let me know, John. I'll go with you. It's just, I, just hop down the road. I think we should. I, you know, I've got family down in Missouri. They're a different type of redneck from South Dakota, but those are my people. So, you know, we can go and we can talk to them. That, I'm sure that'll go well. But, uh, but it, yeah, I like how they say it could cost the state $50 million. Like, does that mean like $50 million to upgrade the security on their systems? What, what are they talking about? <laughs> no, that's in it, political it, counseling it, for the governor. That's roughly how much sans training it's going to take that governor to the point where he'd understand the error of his ways. <laughs> and that's only one class. <laughs> no, 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 too no. soon, too soon, Ralph. Too soon, too soon. No, 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 not even close. Oh, you went sorry. off camera. Sorry. Um, we got it. again just jumping through these topics. Let's go to another one. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, do you think that we're ever going to get a, a group of politicians that actually understand IT at a level? Um, no, that I think they we're going to skip in the foot. We're going to skip generations. We're going to go from like, I don't know anything about computers. Can you explain what Facebook is before we end this hearing? The Facebook. I really, yeah. Or it's the Facebook. Sorry. Do you, can you explain the, the Facebook? What but was I think that we're going to jump. Thing the senator was asking like one of the ladies from Facebook. It was like, like kind of like uh, fake accounts that people are using. And I can't remember. It was like Nymphra or something like that. Whatever. But yeah, I totally didn't understand it whatsoever. So. Basically, I think we're going to go from old people who have no idea, think it's tubes, to like Gen Z, who's like, it's all apps. Like, we. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you mean? a whole level. They just skip everything. They're just like, <laughs> they go too far. Go, go straight like, from like, like, millennials don't ever get a chance in government. It just lines up with the rest of the generation, <laughs> right? Like, oh my God. And I, I know what that's going to look like. There's going to be somebody that's going to be like from like the newer generation that's going to be like, so I got this idea. <laughs> For this app, all right. So stick with me because I'm a big idea guy, right? So I come up with the ideas. Um, so what we want is we want an app that like finds viruses and ransomware and then stops it from running. So I figure because I came up with the idea, I'm entitled to at least fifty percent. So why don't you guys get on on writing that app moving forward? I know that's what's going to use happen. blockchain as well, John. It's going to have to use blockchain to stop now. Yeah. We it's will going- get digital voting though. Probably we have to uh, because before I die, before I die, you're <laughs> no, it'll, it'll be forward. it'll be forever, dude. It, we're all gonna be like ninety. You're gonna be like, I still gotta go down there and vote. It's for my safety. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, we gotta validate our signature for something. I don't know. I, yeah. I, not in my lifetime. <laughs> they're taking blood samples now. Yeah, they're gonna take blood and urine. Um, it's gonna be like Dilbert, where it's like we're gonna put this contraption on your head and squeeze until you scream, and then we're gonna compare it to your previous squeeze, like scream patterns, to make sure that you're you. And it's gonna be like, ah, nope, not you. Keep squeezing. Um, and welcome to the new pre-show banter. <laughs> Vivian just said NFT voting. I don't even know yes. how the hell that works. Oh, but you just have to get it, just, NFT. Yeah, there, there's Vivian, an app. There's an app for that, like NFT voting. Take your VC money and go, Vivian. Take, Take your VC money. money. Get out of here. Take it. Take it. Take I just it. want you to earned it. You've earned it. You've NFT yeah. ballots. God, this show went off the rails right away. Oh this my is, god! Yeah, burn this one right away. Um, speaking of things burning, do we want to talk about hackers draining cryptocurrency accounts of thousands of Coinbase users? Uh, of course. 
Did you yeah. guys read this one at all? Like, this is actually so, scary. Yeah, I I saw some of this, and it's uh, I'm trying to pull up the article here where um, where we had it in here. But anyways, the uh, what they were doing is is that they're systematically going and um, trying to access these accounts, and once they get access to them, so all right, so here's the wild part about it. Not only are they systematically going for Coinbase accounts. Once they get access, let's say that they, um, you know, they're running phishing, phishing scams uh, and schemes to get access to these. And what happened is, is that if they trick some user to visit their fake page, then um, they actually are actively watching it. So when they log in, they get like a bell rung. Someone runs over the computer pretty much. And it starts going through the process of seeing what else it needs. And they have a whole interface um, that they can select. And, and, you know, if it's like prompt for a code, it's like, all right prompt them for a uh, cellular code or whatever it is, whatever it takes to get access to their account. Well, um, wait a minute. It's... I got the impression from this particular article that they didn't know exactly how they were bypassing two-factor. They were getting their user mm-hmm. ID, their password, their phone number, <laughs> but the actual SMS bypass they hadn't quite figured out, or did I miss that in the article somewhere? No. So I don't think there was an SMS bypass. I, I know that they were talking about in this article because they weren't really sure but this is like part of like a bigger, you know, like a phishing scheme for Coinbase users specifically, um, which also leads into uh, I think Coin Market Cap got breached okay. recently with a bunch of email addresses that got released. And why does that matter? Well, it's just it's phishing. You know, it's the people you're going to target, right? There's a ton of targets now. But well, they I, said I didn't, there, I didn't... there was a flaw in Coinbase's SMS account recovery process. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's like a public data breach thing, right? I mean, there's also the ledger breach. A lot of the crypto space has a lot of data floating around. You just have to be cognizant of that as as a user, is that your data is probably already out there. Sure. Okay. So I think this was two things. One of it was the flaw in the in the recovery system, but two is just that it's on it's like an attack surface on the rise, right? Like yeah. currently, right now, scammers are actively going after anyone in crypto because of the of the of the reward involved with just getting access to their account. Um, you know, just like we were talking about on another episode where, you know, they were actively when they would get access to an email address, one way to monetize it would be to go look for gift cards in your email because the gift card number would be in there. It's free money. So, so, so get their money back, though. So no harm, no foul. Yeah. So I got a question no. for you, Ralph. And this is like more philosophical question with cryptocurrency. And it's because I'm old and crotchety, right? Like if we look at passwords, you know, we're using LastPass and a bunch of companies use LastPass and all these different password things. And that makes me at a core level very uncomfortable because it's like, here's this basket, put all of your eggs in it and trust us. But it's better than the alternative of using the same password for absolutely everything um, or writing down random passwords everywhere. Like, I get it, but it makes me uncomfortable. When we look at cryptocurrency, it's like, you know, there's this amazing thing where it can be decentralized, you can be anonymous, you can do all of this stuff with it. And then all of a sudden, we end up with everyone using things like Coinbase, where they have an email address, they log in, they buy and sell. And it's like, there goes the anonymity, there goes the decentralization, there goes a whole bunch of things that make cryptocurrency so awesome, it just evaporates. And a lot of these like cryptocurrency exchanges, their security is far worse than your banks. So I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I know that that's not something that's going to change, like everyone's going to generate their own wallets and run it locally. But it's sometimes it's just like, doesn't it feel like maybe just maybe we're doing it wrong? Maybe. 
So a, a couple things, right? So let's talk, let's talk about Coinbase. Coinbase's security posture is actually not bad in comparison probably to your local bank. But the difference is, is that they're also controlling coins that they can't like get back, right? So now they have to take like the personal piece on them. Like if you get into someone's bank account, right? And you get into their web interface, you and let's say you send some money to somebody, the bank can just take it right back. These are just ACH transfer, like, you know. But to your first point about just kind of destroying the whole piece of what crypto's for is like, these are just on-ramps, right? They're kind of like, you know, band-aids right now for us to access the system. But, you know, hopefully in the future, uh, we won't need a Coinbase to necessarily do the the on-ramp portion, right? Um, I, I don't need to convert cryptocurrency to dollars if you just pay me in cryptocurrency. Not your keys, not your wallet. Yeah. I'm going to say it. Although I will oh. say, most people, if you explain, okay, you're going to get cryptocurrency now. Okay, so step mm-hmm. one, you're going to create a key. Okay, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. really, for every person who got their money stolen off of Keybase, there's probably 10 who put money in some Dogecoin wallet and can't recover it. <laughs> lost yeah. the key, lost the password, yeah. lost, you yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. lost yeah. the computer or whatever. Exactly. So it's... <laughs> We yeah, also right now get cryptocurrency. I mean, look at your, I mean, you go onto your bank, you send money through Venmo or something like that. And like, I know it's not actually cryptocurrency and I know it's using the ACH system and it's the traditional banking system, but you don't know how the keys work. You don't know how that tech works. You don't know how any of that works. Yeah, you can like- care less about how Venmo pays your freaking uncle. You don't care, yeah. right? But it just, just matters that it works, right? And it just, and then it's convenient. It's just magic. It's so magical. Yeah, and you can get yeah, $10 not, like, Explain to me how your Jack Henry software works. How exactly does... <laughs> could you explain to me when you last updated that? Like, that's... Yeah. Our I, conversation. My point was, is that we're already kind of doing that. And to Corey's point, is that there is still a lot of issues with maintaining your own keys and, like, crypto to money that you could lose that we offload to financial institutions to do for us, hopefully without losing that, you know, that piece, right? So... So, um, so basically get a hardware wallet if you're thinking about it. Oh, Probably dear God. Way to go. don't I don't know. Uh, definitely. Like, you talk about losing shit. Like, they I've never got, get breached. You can't lose them. What, what could go wrong? I, I've, got like, I've got like training classes of hardware wallets. I think it was like a TX or something. Like it's a little black one, USB. You plug it in. And I've got yeah. so many of them and they're all identical. And I, I've got one that has some Bitcoin on it that I'm desperately trying to find. I, I don't know. John's going to be like, like if I sent like, you a... You can't even use those. You should just print them out on paper. It's like... He, he, he sent out a hardware wallet for testing and it had all of his Bitcoin on it. He's like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's the one I sent, right? To, not, to, like, to not, like Mike and Ralph. Here, check this one out. Not to turn this to let's talk about uh, crypto, but a hardware wallet definitely is the best choice and you can't back it up on a piece of paper, right? Like you can, you don't need the actual physical uh, wallet to have a backup of that device, right? So, um, and the point of a hardware wallet, just the similar to the point of like um, two-factor authentication or, you know, some kind of like a security token device, it's just to really bring it offline so that compromising your system itself, like your computer or whatever, doesn't actually compromise the keys to take over uh, that currency. So it's just kind of an extra layer of security. That's really what it's for. But uh, as far as losing it, you you shouldn't really have to worry about that. You can make backups. So really cool project, similar to like the hardware wallet thing. Do you guys remember the iron keys where you'd plug them in and you had to type in a password to be able to access it? And it was like it's a solid it. piece of aluminum in the circuitry. It was just a cool-looking like, flash drive, let's be real. Uh, it was yeah, very it cool. Was, they were really cool. So one of the projects that, that I was tangentially related to a long time ago was actually putting that in an acid bath and trying to etch away the aluminum to get it down <laughs> to the circuitry to see if you could actually get the data off of it directly. 
And the answer was, you can, but it takes a really long time. And what is it, uh, the XKCD thing again? It's like, here's a $5 wrench. Go beat them until they get, get the password. For <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, the, I think the Iron Keys had epoxy that covered them too. That's actually what made them waterproof. And the reason yep. they did that was obviously, first, they could say it's waterproof. But second thing was to prevent people from uh, removing or to make it a damn near difficult to remove the chip and all the other fun stuff inside it's of a that. tremendous yeah. amount of patience you could do it if, yeah. uh, <laughs> if you go on even now if you go on distributed like there's forums where you can do like crowdsourced cracking of passwords or keys there's several like escrow enabled cracking tasks that anyone can do that like if you crack it it gives you like thousands of dollars that are all like bitcoin wallets ethereum wallets so like you know people maybe people that's will, what we need to be doing with our password cracker now. during the weekend no, we just mine mm. Ethereum. God, we, we don't yeah, even know. It's, it's pretty profitable. That's yeah. why I was telling you, but telling you all to work forty-hour work weeks because we need to free up the password cracking rig on off yeah. hours. So yeah, no, we've got a plan. Off. We're putting it together. Yeah, we're getting it. We're getting it. <laughs> um, kind, of, kind of to your point, though, John. Just to kind of loop back to that, what, I feel like one of the reasons that they're going to use things like Coinbase, as you were talking about with the last article. There's, there's like a generation that kind of understands this stuff. And then there's the generation that wants it all on an app. Then there's the generation that has no clue what it is. And so the decentralization is almost going to happen possibly just due to the fact it's easy and you can get it on an app. And there's an app that lets you just buy your cryptocurrency. But I'm going to push back against you because, you know, I, I, oh, I, I line up and I, and I do the whole generational thing, right? We make fun of millennials. We make fun of Gen Xers and Gen Zers and all that. But from what I've seen, the reality is like if you're in Gen X, because it's kind of like my generation is, you know, we had people that understood this stuff really well, but we learned it from people like Hal Pomerantz and his generation. But even within my generation, there were people that were just like, you know what, I do Word and that's it, you know? And then we <laughs> hang out with like people like you and like you and uh, uh, like Logan and all of these people at BHIS that are really, really young they're like, I want to learn how the Linux kernel works and how to write drivers. And that's, that's cool. But it seems to me like the percentage is holding the same. Like the, what I mean by that is across gener generation X, Y, Z, and the millennials, there always seems to be about like 5% or less that really want to get under the hood and see how this stuff really works, um, rather than it being pure generational lines. Now, the thing I talk about with Hal is there's crap out there that just works and has worked for like a decade and a half. And the people that built that are dying. And because it just works, you're running into a situation where no one has looked at it. It's just like this perpetual motion machine. And what happens whenever that breaks? But, uh, but no, like I said, you know, we make fun of generations here, right? Oh, sure. Like my, my I, I guess, but I, I honestly mean it solely as generational. Um, yeah. One thing I will say, like, there's, there's not a lot of marketing out there that says like, oh, hey, you should really go check out how the Linux kernel works. It's the hot new thing that everyone wants to talk about. But crypto kind of is right now. And yeah. it's, it's bound to get more people. I think it's the FOMO. More than anything, the FOMO is what pulls people into crypto. Like, yeah. you, you know, you're on the golf course with your bros and you hear someone that got rich just by going on an app and buying Bitcoin eight years ago. You're like, well, I'm going to go on an app and buy Bitcoin, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> It's fun. All, all my friends that quote unquote got rich buying Bitcoin, like they fall in prey to the computer crash, lost the password, or they held too long. You know, they're like, to the moon. But in the background, they're like, to the moon. Everyone else is going to the moon. I'm selling right now. You know, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a lot of Bitcoin billionaires that actually managed to keep it for any discernible amount of time.
Do, let's talk, Ralph, did you look at this, uh, the uh, VMware, it's the threat post one, VMware ESXi servers encrypted by lightning fast Python script? Uh, no, actually, I didn't get a chance to check that one out, though it's pretty much um, describes something that would be right up my alley, though. It is, and one of the things I really like about it is the Sophos Labs write-up is they basically go through the attack timeline, right? So it starts at like 12.40 a.m. The attackers were looking for network targets, used advanced IP scanner tool, which they recon and they find some systems, um, was vulnerable because it had an ActiveX shell. Uh, that the system, the IT team was using for commands and updates. Why would you run an active shell and leave it just open? Whatever. But they go through the timeline and the different commands and the script they actually put in there. Um, just a very, very, very small Python script to actually execute it. Uh, but, but I think that this is great because with the chronology of the attack and how it plays out, I think that this is something that's missing from a lot of IT security stories where they'll basically go through and they'll talk about an attack and then it's kind of put in this vague nebulous set of terms, but awesome hats off to ThreatPost where they actually incorporated this entire timeline associated with the attack from initial compromise all the way through the actual encryption. And, and the reason why I like that is there's two reasons. One, I think it's great for education for people that are trying to learn about computer security. And then the other thing I think is great about it is it lets people know that the vast majority of attacks that are out there, it's not like hit and five minutes later, everything's hacked. And with a lot of these attacks, it's a hit, it's laterally move, it's entrench, it's escalate privileges. Then once they're set, then start encrypting things. And what that buys you as a security administrator is it does in fact buy you some time but you got to be able to detect that command and control. You've got to be able to detect that lateral movement that happens um, at the organization uh, level as well. And we'll talk more about that C2 lateral movement here a little bit later on in the show. But I, like I said, I absolutely love the article going through and talking about it from the beginning all the way through, because I think that there's yeah, a lot so of lessons people can break this chain. Go ahead. I was just kind of like speed reading through this. So it looks like they targeted, uh, <laughs> they compromised the administrator's uh, workstation, right? And the way they did that is they used TeamViewer or something to to cause. So uh, yes, they they have they have access to a. Oh yeah, that's right. They broke into a TeamViewer account of, of uh, belonging to an admin user, and then so they're looking for a target systems. And here's like the first mistake. I knew it was coming, right? Because I'm like, man, how did they get on this ESXi box? So ESXi is uh, the SSH shell is disabled by default. It's like it's a standard. When you install ESXi, you do not get SSH. That's something you got to go turn on, right? And it sounds like isn't it turned off to- as soon as you restart as well? Yes, I think it's turned off as soon as you restart. You you can set it the service to start on reboot, but in short, it's not turned on. And so they looks like they had turned it on and then left it on. So this is something that you um you know when you turn it on, you can turn it back off or whatever. There's actually not a whole lot of use cases for SSH on ESXi. I've done a bunch of things on there, but I mean it is more like administration tasks and stuff like that. Wait, can Um, you pause for a second? So let me get this straight, guys. This shell is such a security vulnerability that it's off by default. If you yes. turn it on and then you reboot, they it shut it off, it off again. Yeah, it'll like, turn it off. They're constantly trying to take the hammer away from a rampant, <laughs> rabid monkey. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. 
Okay. Yeah. And Great. so they, fa- they failed twice, right? They had it on and then they didn't disable it. But all right, in their defense, right, this should be an internal asset. Okay. So this isn't publicly exposed. So they've already compromised one workstation via TeamViewer. They're on that workstation and that workstation has access to these devices that are not publicly exposed. They're doing quick scans. They find this SSH. Now, it doesn't say in here how they accessed it, but in general, the way it would work is that the SSH interface would typically at minimum have a password to log into that system, right? Now you can easily set up for SSH uh, authentication, which may have been the case where your key is on your um, your device and that key allows access to, to ESXi. Anyways, so once they were able to get in there, that's when they started running ESXi shell commands. Now you gotta realize that when you ESXi as a product doesn't really have like a user architecture structure even though it is Linux and you could add users, typically it's just root, okay? Like if you get onto an ESXi box, you are the administrator on that box, right? They don't, it's not really designed for multiple users. Once they got on there, they were root and they could run that. And so what they were doing is, is because the way ESXi functions, you have data stores that are connected to these ESXi box over network, or they could be local, but most likely they were network data stores. And what they're doing is they're running Python to scan those data stores looking for data to start um, encrypting it. And so that's when they get into kind of using Python to you know do the uh, encryption uh, of all this data. Well, hold really- on, hold on. The Python, the, I, I want to I call this out. The Python is just the wrapper, which is what Python's good at. The actual encryption is done by OpenSSL, which... The you know open SSL probably isn't Python. It's probably C, and it's probably written like yes. twenty years ago, and it's fast as hell. Right, <laughs> that's why it's fast. Def- it's, it's installed by default on ESXi box. Yeah, I was going to say that's why you would use something like that because Python is on ESXi. It really the software the software stack on ESXi in general from the command line is very minimal. I mean, this is a Type One hypervisor, so it's supposed to have the minimal amount of installation Wait, so, of software. So they have Python, but they have Python yes. installed by default. Yes, Python oh, and Vim, which is now an APT. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah, we're going to strip this down, but here's an entire block code, bytecode interpreted language, ready to rock and roll yeah. to do whatever you want for backdoors. So, okay, here's the big things. All right, so one, yes, they got access to, um, they were able to encrypt, and obviously, once you get access to an ESXi server, you oh. actually have access to a lot of things, mostly the data stores, it's whatever's easy in that to cluster. break it, even if you're trying not to break it. Yeah. But one of the big things, and they brought this up in the article, and I absolutely agree, is like the actual security posture on ESXi itself, it doesn't really give you a whole lot of purview. Like you're not really monitoring for actions on ESXi, right? That's just something you assume is locked down um, to, you know, very limited amount of users. And it's not something that um, is going to get compromised. So like you don't really have a whole lot of insight of what's going on there um, in this, uh, you know, in that OS. And that's something they kind of brought up. You know, but there is one last caveat, which I'm sure VMware is thinking of right out loud, is there is a lockdown mode, okay? So you can enable a lockdown mode for ESXi. Uh, you get actually prompted for this when you add an ESXi server into vCenter. And what it does when you put it in lockdown mode is it pretty much disables all of that interface and management stuff, uh, the web interface, everything, so that it's pretty much only accessible via the vCenter that um, has been given access to it. See, and that's what a hypervisor should be, right? Like. Yeah. A hypervisor should be ultra lightweight, does exactly what it needs to run things. You shouldn't have entire languages in your hypervisor. Of course, I say that and we find out like ring minus three is like a, like a minx kernel that's running on all of our Intel things. So I guess, I guess my theory is completely shot to hell. I don't know what my point is here. I will um, say from the endpoint security perspective, I have done a lot of assessments of like targeting ransomware and building ransomware that 
runs on endpoints for like in an enterprise security environment, testing specific endpoint security products. And none of them care if you just encrypt like the majority of the disk. Like, <laughs> so, so like cool you, you, so you can't you can't blame ESX for like oh you you didn't detect us encrypting your disk. Like meanwhile Windows is over here like oh pff, go ahead just encrypt all your user files. It's fine. Like what's the problem? It's just no. a file modification. It's no big deal. Like honestly, I think there should be an alert red flag when anyone logs into the shell of ESXi, okay? Oh, like, yeah. Should yeah just, that should be like critical. That alert. activity should be like critical yeah. alert. Someone just logged in. Like, did they have approval to do this, right? Or like even, alert, even, you even, idiot, we warned you. It's like, it's like <laughs> we, we disabled it by default. We turn it off every time you turn the damn computer back on. Now someone's using it. It's the CI yeah. told you to so critical alert is what it is. But the problem is, Ralph, that would trigger every weekend when they do the VM deployment for the website. <laughs> but I do understand that how they'll, like they'll how they do everything. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I assume it was enabled for automation, probably, right? I mean, they don't know how to use well, sure. the API, yeah. or, you know, like they're it's old school stuff, right? Yeah. So, okay, there are some use cases for logging into the shell outside of just like the regular uh, items that you may be doing. You know, I can think of a handful of things, but it really is like lower level, like actual interfacing with the SXI. And in general, nobody except for like the one or two like senior administrators of that infrastructure should have access or even be enabling that. So having that one alert, if the, I guess that's a process problem, right? You shouldn't have people logging into the ESXi because you can break stuff, not just encrypt stuff, okay? Oh, like yeah. Just in general, you can break stuff very simple, very easily. And the, I mean, I guess this guy, did all their system admins have you know, local access to it? I, I don't know, but. Well, I mean, if the service was turned on and they're sharing a root password, then Probably. Yeah. Those two things seem bad. Yeah. Plus the team viewer thing, you know? I don't know. Plus the team viewer thing. <sighs> Got yeah, Never forget so team viewer. Okay, what exactly is the problem here? Is it just like everything is the problem? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. so you need to use, I can just see the security team allowing the exceptions. So you need us to turn on the shell and allow you to run the shell that every hardening guide says to shut off. It's like, yeah, we need that to be on. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. A week later, so you, need have, you need to have Team Viewer running on your computer here at work. That's yeah. I need it for my job. Gotta have it, you know, so I can access it remotely. Okay, this is fine. Yeah, that's great. This is this is fine. Okay. I, honestly, this is fine. This is good. This is progress. Because security is not supposed to get in the way of the business, Ralph. Ever. It's not our I job. I need to install PyPy onto the ESXi server now. <laughs> Let me explain. If you disable, if you disable SSH, all the automation breaks. Security team. All yeah, right? that's why did you build the automation around that? Well, this because it was fun. built by an ex-employee that actually left, and he uh, went to work, and... work at the school district in the UK. <laughs> we don't know <laughs> how the the, <laughs> we don't know how the API works, so we have to just use SSH because we have. Let's, we don't write shit in pipecups. Just let it go. Do that. Yeah. Well, it, it was either that or there was an admin who's like, "I want to learn Ansible, so we're going to do that." <laughs> And, yeah, there's, well, and there's 90% uh, of the problems that happen in organizations, right? But like, why yeah. did this happen? I wanted to learn it. I, I, I saw some articles. That I, just, was, I just saw and I just, they said so, it could go faster if I did. Uh, so, okay. I guess I screwed up on that one. All right. Uh, oh, oh, we got to move on from this one. Let's, let's talk no, about how Chinese hackers 
are creating rootkits that are based around Cheat Engine, which is a video game cheat software package. Okay, so uh, all right, uh, so there's so much happening in this article, like from a historical. Oh, got some insight for this. So all right, so if we go back in time, and I'm going to talk about this again in the show: uh, user mode versus protected mode memory. Right. So if you go back a long, long, long time ago. You used to be able to run uh, video games and trainers and things like that that would directly access the memory of a video game, and you could modify it on the and you could change that game on the fly. Now, what what ultimately happened is once they put up protected mode, is you basically had protections in memory protecting video games and not just video games, but any apps from really being hit too hard with other applications. So that was put in, I think, in Windows XPSP too. Um, so now if you're actually getting a trainer and you're running a video game cheat hack, like the cheat engine, what it's actually doing is it's debugging the process that is the video game. Uh, so what it does is basically you can set up these little breakpoints and you can go through your code and you can run it and you can hit these breakpoints and then you can make things happen. Or you could do things like give yourself unlimited health or give yourself unlimited ammo. And a lot of video games actually have that built into the game as part of the QA process. And some of the video games, it's just like, that's just the way it works. You can actually enable them on the fly with certain key combinations. So Cheat Engine is, it's basically designed and it is useful for the like video game development community for going through and doing QA. And it's not like, you know, just click a button and make, make me invincible. It doesn't quite work that way. It is literally a debugger that is designed for debugging your video games. Now, what's really interesting for me about this cheat engine is they actually have a uh, signed driver. I can't remember the name of the driver. Some, oh, there it is. But I thought uh, it was open like, source. Yeah, it's right here. It's dbk64.sys, and it is a signed driver. Now, the reason why that's important is because starting with Windows Vista, uh, Microsoft started enforcing mandatory driver signing. And it was a big deal for a little while. A bunch of and, uh, antivirus engines wanted to have the ability to actually do full kernel level debugging so they could run antivirus at the kernel level. Microsoft said no. That's mainly because Microsoft wanted to make a play in the AV industry, um, which they ended up doing anyway with Defender, but that's a whole nother story. But what's interesting about that whole entire thing is in order for your software to run at kernel level, you actually do have to have a mandatory device driver. Now, if you look at Realtek and JMicron, if you go back to Stuxnet, um, those were two device signing drivers, uh, excuse me, two drivers that were stolen from those companies in Taiwan and were used in Stuxnet. And if we look at Duke and a bunch of other malware specimens, you know, getting access to driver signing is kind of a big deal. In fact, last week, there was another piece of malware that actually had malware and code that was signed by Microsoft. Now, what's really interesting for me on this one is the malware itself took the signed driver from Cheat Engine and was using that Cheat Engine driver to be able to do kernel-level debugging, which is basically doing rootkit-level activities. Um, so the Hacker News has a great graphics where they talk about, you know, it actually runs, you run an executable, it runs a service. Um, svchost.exe because they're clearly not creative. Whoever the hell came up with this, you got to do better than services controller or host. 
and all of the functionality is completely wrapped inside of that 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 driver that is signed by cheat engine that allows them to do kernel level rootkit like activities so this is interesting to me because i didn't know that many companies were actually just sharing their signed drivers in such a way that attackers could pick it up and utilize them just to the open public but it makes sense because if you're running cheat engine it allows you to do debugging of video games and that signed driver would allow you to do rootkit like activities as well so i don't know if anybody else had anything to say about this but i just absolutely love it whenever we start breaking down these rootkits so we're going to talk about a different rootkit a little bit later talking about a uefi bootkit and we'll talk about bootkits a little bit just in a few minutes there as well. I was going to so, say that the the user land versus kernel space thing is still really, really important because that is kind of a decision that AV and EDR vendors have to make, right? Are we going to go in the kernel? Are we going to go in the user space? And obviously it's harder to go in the kernel, but because of hooking and unhooking and the ETW patching and all the stuff that our implants can do, if it's kernel signed, it's way harder to bypass than if it's user land. So like this applies even in like the offensive security space. And now, obviously, I want to make malware that you know uses Cheat Engine, but um... well, and we and we can share that with everybody. You can literally just download Cheat Engine, um, <laughs> well, if you cheat. want, and Cheat Engine. Can share that with everybody. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I was saying the new IOC now is Cheat Engine. It's well, pretty... okay, that gets into uh, that gets into some really interesting questions um, about how many other software package platforms are out on GitHub that have something very, very, very similar to that. Uh, so Noel is this asked, using, sorry, um, John, is this, can you explain, I, don't, I honestly don't know, is this using the Cheat Engine DLL, like, yes, uh, it it's in a non-documented using, way, like, or not DLL, but like driver, it's saying like, maybe the driver has just like a generic debug function and it's using that to like do bad stuff, or is it actually using like, embedded like how, how exactly does that execution flow work if you know oh, if you don't the execution know so this is what's documented and it's not completely documented but what it does is it allocates a memory buffer maps the buffer to user space and then it executes the code and then it unmaps the buffer from user space and those are great big huge like hoops that there's just not enough detail um, associated with this so that's what it's doing as far as the dispatcher but the alternative one it does allocate memory buffer in user space resolves the interrupt tables for driver image, creates a driver object, and then unmaps it from user space. So it looks to me like it's, it, it looks to me like it's kind of, kind of, it's debugging the, the dbk64.sys and hijacking its execution flow to basically make it do the malicious debugging on the kernel instead. But that's just me guessing this from the steps and the article and what this happens. isn't something that cheat engine could fix basically it's not like a, a flaw in their function or their design or anything well, like if you that. look at the article in step cheat engine works, dude this is like oh. it, it literally yeah. is designed to hook these processes and cheat and like it's made for making game hacks right it, which yeah. the reason it's doing that is because the anti-cheat engines are also hooked yes. at kernel it, levels it, like it, valorant it, hooks oh, at the kernel yeah. level in theory if if the hooking is done in the same way with the anti-cheat engines. You could even weaponize them the same way, but it still, it's, uh, yeah, it for still sure, cracks but, you know. me up so much to know that honestly, the state of rootkit research, like it pretty much died about, I'd say 10 years ago. Um, we, we saw a lot of stuff move to boot kits, but 
what's interesting about this is it didn't die like completely. The security community just kind of moved on. But boy, in the video game industry, holy yeah. crap, it never died. It's still a game of cat and mouse. That that's a whole industry that people are paying good money for game hacks, right? Uh, me. Bo, Mike, a while ago, we played this game called Monte Crypto. Funny story. It was about getting, uh, it was about breaking some puzzles. And if you did, you won a Bitcoin. And um, we had a lot of fun doing it. But what we ended up realizing is that to actually solve the puzzles, we had to start cheating in the game, like hacking the game. Our hackers were like, well, well, eventually we realized we had to do it. And so we were using Cheat Engine to do this, right? And, um, you know, to figure out how to change the game and, you know, to modify this stuff. And it helped you get going and changing modifying parameters that um you know without having to reprogram the game you know and recompile blah 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 and so it lets you do that in real time but i was just going to say the whole industry of rootkit level hacks is alive and well um because mm -hmm. if you think for a second that the uh cheat uh detection softwares are catching all of this you're crazy most of the people are just getting caught because they're you know killing everybody and it's exactly playing, like right? endpoint security I would, I would, I, I would argue that the video game anti-cheat capability is better than rootkit detection in the AV community. It probably it has to be. It has to be. I mean, I Even will say that cheat cheats. engine. This, these kinds of sign drivers are pretty well-known IOCs, right? Like, yeah. I, I think an EDR would prevent this, wouldn't it? Yeah, the Windows, dude. You don't even have to download it. Just click on it. Just here's the name, and it's like, oh no, hold on, we got to block this. Even with <laughs> cheat engine, it's that bad. Like, if you try to run it, it's like, oh no. No, we're not going to let this run. But once again, there's a difference between, okay, so that gets into inheritance. What are they actually stopping? Are they stopping the initial executable or are they stopping the signed driver? Because it could be a lot of the security tools are stopping the initial exe from running, but they mm -hmm. didn't even bother writing signatures for everything else behind it. So basically, you can basically write your own entry point, write your own executable that will allow it to execute. And then that full cheat engine rootkit level functionality is going to work just fine, possibly. Well, so. plus I want to play my game and I'm turning off Defender because it keeps telling yeah. me I can't install this anti-cheat because... <laughs> <laughs> While know. I'm at it, I'll disable the firewall just for good measure. Yeah, well, yeah, you got to get fast multiplayer frames when games. Yeah, right. just don't get good at games fast. It matters. All right, so let's go deeper. Um, let's go uh -huh. ahead and let's talk about the UEFI bootkit. This is funny because as I was reading this, once again, totally not new. And I was really happy in the article at Cyberworks. They actually talked about this particular technique um, we've known about since uh, 2012. And I remember talking about this type of technique in a number of the classes I was teaching back in the day. And students would spend a lot of time saying, well, seriously, if this was that bad, how come we haven't seen it in the wild? Well, once again, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? And when you're looking at malware, they'll only be as crafty and as creative as they need to be in order to achieve their specific goals, right? It's just not, you're not going to go to a full boot kit, root kit to be able to bypass or gain access to a system if standard application level backdoor is going to work. Now, once again, um, we go back to that protected mode versus user mode. Whenever your operating system starts, your system is always going to start in like user mode, um, which is basically where it's going to be, you're going to be able to access any of the different dynamic link libraries, anything that's loading in that operating system right at the beginning, because you can't put up the protections because the actual DLLs that implement the protections haven't been loaded yet. So there's this really cool gap that exists where you start your operating system, it's running but it doesn't have the memory protections 
in place while it's actually booting up. So if you can actually install a bootloader, UEFI boot or legacy boot or anything, what that allows you to do is it allows you to create, as it says here, a malicious um, master boot record or a patched EFI bootloader. And what that allows you to do if it's running and it's running properly is now you can reach inside of the operating system before the security protections go up and actually disable some security protections. Like one of the things that we talked about earlier, I talked about it with Windows Vista, is Microsoft implemented mandatory driver signing verification for anybody that wanted to write a driver for an operating system. So if you're running your malware at that level, which you absolutely have to be an administrator to execute it at that level, then that allows your malware to reach in and disable that driver verification to allow any of your rootkit DLLs or drivers to execute on the operating system. So it basically gets you into a very, very like low level in the operating system that is just super, super cool. And this one they were talking about, it allowed you to do document theft, key logging, screen monitoring, like doing cap periodic capture of, of screenshots, but that's all being done as the system starts up. Now, this can go deeper, right? Like you can actually have the bootloader and you can basically have it load, but then you can also hook into like AMSI and you can start blinding different uh, antivirus products and stuff that are on the system as well. So this is a great way to persist on system. Um, so I don't know if any of you guys had anything to add on this one, but this is just, I really like like this type of stuff. This is kind is of this my physical only, physical access, or is there a remote? No, no, no. You can, you, if you're an administrator, you can absolutely overwrite these things. And they said yeah, that you, they saw it, and the name of the malware is Espectre. That's a pretty cool name. Is mm -hmm. the uh, is the boot is the bootloader in full disk encryption? Is the boot partition encrypted on on Windows? Or I know on Linux no. it can or can't be, depending. No, you got to start up the operating system at a marginal level before it actually goes into the full BitLocker encryption. But then it gets into TPM and how what's the effect of yeah. you know TPM? TPM yeah. could could prevent that, and also yeah. trusted like like signing of the the drivers and stuff. Like there's just, there's some stuff you could do. Like, so you're telling me when I go it's to just, do my BIOS update for my game because my game's running slow and I got to do a BIOS update, so I should probably check that file before I just run that our exe that looks like no, it was dude, yo, run that run that crap. Okay. You know, you okay, got it cool, off the website. I, so it's important, by the way, what you need to do is if you download that from a website and it's got a hash on the same website, you should verify that hash from the website. You download the driver. Totally trustworthy at that point. Okay, yeah, that's what I was assuming. The websites could be compromised in any way, right? That's possible. Yeah, no, no. It, so hackers usually can only update one thing at a time. Many people don't know this. Like they can upload the malware or they can update the hash, but not both at the same time. By the that way, if you're sense. listening to this, we're totally being completely and utterly sarcastic. Please don't send me hate mail. <laughs> Please don't Every driver me. update I've ever used did look like malware, I will say. So, or, That's because a lot of they are malware. Shit. If you, take, <laughs> if you take the Linux kernel development class from the Linux Foundation, like they literally teach you how to create rootkits. Like that's the whole training. They're like, so now what we're going to be doing is we're going to be patching this particular thing to patch inodes. So it's going to be pulling network information from a different inode than the actual inode to pull network configuration. No, that's literally what they teach you. And there's disclaimers in the slides that are like, this is just for example purposes. Please don't do this in the real world because that would be evil. <laughs>
In Greg Hoglin and Jamie Butler's book, Rootkit, Subverting the Windows Kernel, for a long time, if you wanted to do Windows kernel development, that was like required reading at universities to learn how to do Windows kernel development because it was better documented than most textbooks. So, yay. <laughs> Perfect. Somebody said, that's not very convincing, John. Good try. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. What other, what other stories? Does anybody have any other stories they want to talk about? What about TSA imposing cybersecurity mandates on rail and subway systems? It's a weird one. I, this Are they going to publish all the keys just like they did for the TSA locks? I think they probably will, so they can post pictures of all of them. They they publish all the keys, like the public, the private keys. Like, <laughs> hold hold I, on, we we got one, we we got one here. Oh, do you want to talk about this one? I'll, I'll talk about this last one. I, okay, I just want to quickly go over this one. It's, you know, the problem in the world of computer security isn't that we don't have enough standards and guidance on how to secure our shit, um, and the fact that the TSA is coming in and is putting in cybersecurity mandates on major rail and subway systems. I don't know, I'm just going out on a limb here that maybe just maybe a lot of those providers of those services already were under existing mandates, that maybe just maybe dropping more is not helping. Maybe, just maybe what you're doing is you're getting more and more auditors to make sure that these mandates are imposed, which is cutting funds from security people actually securing their organizations. But then again, I might just be throwing poop at the wall. I don't know. It's are, a lot are, are of you, check Are boxes. you trying to imply, John, that some people spend more time talking about securing things than actually securing things? Yes, that is what I say. Yes. That, and that, I'm in that group, right? So I spent a lot of time talking to the various groups that are developing mandates and stuff. And nine times out of 10, I'm like, if you guys can just find an existing one, just use that, please. For the love of God, don't develop your own guidance from scratch, please. Because it's like rolling your own crypto. And they're like, what's wrong with rolling your own crypto? I'm like, oh God, Whoa. when a man and a woman love each other, we're going to start at the very beginning. <laughs> we're going to work our way up slowly. But no, I, I guess I don't like this because I've never, most of the organizations that are under government control, whenever they have multiple regulatory bodies, it's, they spend most of their time chasing those, regu those regulations rather than just securing their systems. And that makes me sad. Plus, the regulations will be so confusing that you might as well just copy and paste it, like from NERC or FERC, or you know what I mean. Like, yeah. <laughs> it'll be so confusing; it won't oh. make any sense. They'll be okay. like, "What's a bulk, what's a bulk electric?" I've been in meetings room? where they literally have taken other standards, copied those standards in, and then tried to change the wording so it appeared <laughs> that they didn't copy and paste it from the other standards. Like NIST that's is over point. here blowing a gasket. They're like, "Wait, TSA is just doing our job? What?" Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Gotta shut them down. All right, so Ralph, you got another one. You got another one. That's just my. Oh yeah, just, like, or they had a pandemic. They were all sitting at the airport doing nothing, so they just threw it together. Yeah, there's. So, hey guys, let's throw together some security regulations. Yolo. All right, go ahead, Ralph. This last one, I think, uh, closes it out in the Halloween theme. We have some sticky business. Ransomware hitting U.S. candy maker ahead of Halloween, too. So um, definitely not very sweet activity they're doing. Worms. Oh, my God. He got, like, three dad jokes in there. Cybersecurity dad jokes for the win. <laughs> we got sweet tarts, Laffy Taffy nerds, Red Hots, Lemonheads. Man, so many good stuff. Dude, Boston Baked Beans, Boston those can just stay ransomed. Those can stay ransomed. If you, if you give trick-or-treaters Boston Baked Beans, your house is going to get peepeed, and you're going to deserve it. They're like, they're like, here's the ransom prices. Uh, sweet Tarts, $10 million. Boston Baked Beans, 5 bucks. <laughs>
<laughs> now we're gonna have someone to be like, but I like Boston baked beans. Well, you if could you pay the five dollars and unlock it. Yeah, you, you know what? Blame it on the ransomware. When I was spending all my time underneath bridges riding trains across America, I love baked beans too, Timmy. And then I grew did, up. Did, did, did this go into the IoT slash industrial OT security space? I assume it did if it shut down production. I, I uh, would guess it did. I guess it They would. probably just encrypted everything and say, give us all your candy. They chose, it would be funny if it, they chose a trick and they got it. Oh, oh and they got a treat. It wasn't nearly as good as yours. They only Here's... encrypted like the business side, so like the factories just could keep running perfectly fine. They're just like, we just can't change anything. We can't change anything, but like all the factories are still working. Well, that should be a Willy Wonka. Anyways, there has to be something on like Family Guy or Rick and Morty where there's like a Willy Wonka character where Willy Wonka's chocolate factory is ransomware, and see how he how he reacts to that. Because <laughs> this could be for the scene, right? This, yeah, That's this 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 could be an article. There's going to be a song with it too, and like Oompa Loompas are going to come out. Like Oompa, Jason Oompa, can be in there as Oompa as we do, do. Your bounce uh. check, and we will too. Oompa, <laughs> Oompa, we're unemployed. Um, no. It's, it's, <laughs> All right, I think we already have the base. There we go. Right we're here. done. <laughs> you're you're we're, welcome. We killed it. Halloween edition. All right. So, uh, non really, have you guys seen Dune yet? No. You should I, all go see to. Dune. Fantastic. Save it for IMAX. Oh, yeah. I watched it on my little tiny phone and I cried. It was so Classic. good. So, all righty. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Um, I'd like to thank my, my, my hosts today. Ryan, of course, always making us look and sound good. He's recovering somewhat nicely from the 24 hour pre show banter con. Ralph, we got Ben, Noah. Do you use Sham423 sham or Sham or Cham? He's a Sham. I'm a Sham. I'm a Sham. Do you guys want to buy some Sham Wow? Yeah, Sham Wow Z guy. Do you guys want to buy some? I need, does anyone want to buy some Sham Wow? Sham Wow. Oh, yeah. We got to do the crazy thing. Salesperson. Yeah, I, I tried. I, yours was All better. right. So that was a. Good show. Ryan, take us out. The Oompa Loompa thing has got to go somewhere. You got to record that. Yeah, I'm sure that'll happen. Don't worry. Ryan's already got the audio recorded. He he records everything. Ryan's got his I want to raise like video cache. Like, so there's going to be nothing but videos of you making it. I have an uplink set up. Even if you get rid of me, they will go live unless you pay. They will go live. (laughs) It's it's on the live stream. I don't have to do anything. It's just there. (laughs) It's already there. It's on the internet. Yeah, but context is everything. You know, if you take out all the context and it's just a video of John doing Oompa Loompa ransomware edition. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it plays on repeat. Like, it just never stops. It just takes over ten hours. The, the BHIS like, live stream channel. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. That's what we need.